Well, I grew up in the era of the peace sign, right? I mean, it was everywhere on shirts, on clothing, and everybody greeted each other with peace, man, peace, that kind of thing. And it's made a bit of resurgence. You find it on clothing these days and everything. But I was, I was from the generation of peace, man. But I, I have to confess, more often than not, Peace is not the best description of my life. I mean, far from it. I, I, I wish it were, but it's, it's not. I mean, more often than not, I'm, I'm not at peace with myself. You know, I'm filled with all that inner turmoil and all that junk that goes on. I'm, more often than not, not at peace with, with other people around me. There's friction and intensity and stuff. And, and I know I'm a pastor and everything, but let's just get real. More often than not, I... I'm not even at peace with God, and I'm being very serious. Um, I'm often at war, to be honest, you know, experiencing conflict and dismay and disillusionment, and I, I find that churning within me, all that stuff bubbling up and, and oozing over in my life that, that can become like a poison, and I find myself at war with other people often in disagreement with them. They're not... They're not as easy to control as I would like and all these other things that go on. And, and this even boils over into my relationship with God. There are times when I'm, I'm certainly at war with God in conflict with Him. And it can actually be seen in positive moments like prayer when I'm telling Him all the things He's doing wrong and the things that He should be getting right. And I mean, I, you can relate to this, right? No matter how sincere I am, how much I... I try, how hard I try, how much I want it. My life, my attitudes, my thoughts, my relationships are often in turmoil, and they really get out of whack. And, and I just want to be honest with you. It can be exhausting. Well, the story of Martha and her brush experience with God, this moment where she had a brush with God, an experience with God, has help me to understand this better. And if you can relate at all to the kind of things I was just sharing, then, then this is a story that I believe can help to reshape you and help you. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Let me just read this brush experience that Martha had. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There's a lot in here, but let, let's kind of tease out the people in this text just a little bit, especially Martha and Jesus. I mean, we learn a lot about Martha in this text, and I tell you, Martha gets a lot of hostile treatment in people who teach this passage. I mean, she's been beat up more in talks that I've heard than anybody almost on the planet. I mean, she just gets a bad rap, but Martha, this passage even shows us, was an unbelievably wonderful woman. 
In this passage alone, it says, she opened her home to Jesus. And you know, the crowds that followed Jesus and the people and the things that were going on. She opened her home to this, this event of having Jesus there. I mean, it shows that she was gracious, that she was generous, that she was spiritual, she cared about Jesus, that she was a woman committed to serving others. I mean, she was a wonderful human being, but in this particular moment, in fact, the passage even says, but Martha. I mean, she opened her home, she's this gracious woman, but Martha. In this particular moment, she wasn't experiencing peace. I mean, she wasn't at peace within. I mean, all you have to do is read this text, and I mean, there's no way she starts getting up and poking a finger in Jesus' chest talking about Mary, unless there had been a lot of war and conflict going on within her. You, you know what it's like, because you've been in these moments where you, you're, you think life's treating you unfairly, and people aren't helping you, and things aren't meaning you. You know what goes on inside you, right? She started bubbling up with all kinds of turmoil within and then she went to war with her sister. She was in conflict with her sister. You, you know she didn't, didn't burst out and talk to Jesus about this. She was making eyes at her sister the whole time. You know, and she was pointing. And she was, she'd go over and brush her with her leg and jab her. And you know she was trying. And Mary was just going to lock on to Jesus. And so she finally just exploded and said, Jesus, don't you care? And this passage tells us why, and this is important to me because I already shared with you that peace isn't my general experience in life. I'm very often where we find Martha in this particular passage, and, and this passage tells us how she got there. This good, this gracious, this generous woman got there because she was distracted, it tells us. She, she became out of focus. Her... Her focus in life, what it should have been, was knocked out of alignment. And, and she was distracted by two things. It tells us she was distracted by her responsibilities. The text actually says she was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. It was her home. She had to open the home. And so there was a lot that had to be done in order to host these people there. And once they were there, there was a lot that had to be done. Any of you who have ever played host knows that there's a lot of stuff involved in that. And, and she got distracted by her responsibilities. Now, this is interesting because this is a woman who owned the home and opened her home. She wasn't made to do this. She wanted to do this. It, it just tells us she had, she had the gift of hospitality. She wanted people to be there. She wanted this to be going on. And she, she invited them there. So it was a part of her calling, a part of who she was. She normally found joy in this moment, but she lost all that joy and was so distracted by the responsibility that, that she started losing all of her sense of peace, even though Jesus was in the room. And the text also tells us she was distracted by her sister's choices. I mean, this is interesting. Her sister chose to sit at Jesus' feet. Why do you think Martha had Jesus in her home? Wasn't it so people could hear his teaching, be exposed to him, learn from him, follow him, become like him? Yeah, even in this passage she calls him Lord. But, but all of a sudden, even though Mary's doing exactly what Martha had hoped would happen when she invited Jesus in, she gets ticked off by this choice that Mary made. And so she's distracted by the responsibility that usually brings her joy. She's distracted by her sister's choice that really should have brought her joy, but didn't. And it was all because her focus was knocked out of whack, which helps me to realize that when I'm not experiencing joy and peace, and instead I'm experiencing conflict, my focus is messed up. That's where she was. 
The result is it messed up everything. In that moment, it threw her whole life out of whack. She lost joy. She lost peace. She was churning inside with anger and jealousy and disillusionment. And, and I know she was churning inside with what often happens to me when I think life's not going my way and God's not treating me right and others aren't treating me right and I'm having to work and other people aren't having to work. You know what happens to me? I start wallowing in self-pity. Talk about the opposite of peace. Poor little me. Need a little cheese with my wine. It messed up her relationships with others. I mean, with her sister. I mean, that really didn't go well and messed up her relationship with all the friends she invited to meet Jesus on this day. Think about this. By getting upset, she actually had taken the people she loved and made them an inconvenience. You're inconveniencing me. You're ruining my life. You're getting in the way of my joy. You're the problem. And when you make the people you love your problem... It's not a good thing. You're not at peace. And it got even worse than that because all this junk that was boiling in her and all the personal conflict going on in her, she couldn't keep it inside. And ultimately, it flowed out on all of them. And she spilled over in her misery and anger and disappointment on all of them. She wasn't a lot of fun to be around in that moment. Do you know people like this? Are you often a person like this? Yeah, I am sometimes. And it messed up her view of Jesus. I, I just think this is really interesting. And you need to know she loved Jesus. She calls him Lord in this, this text. But, but she got in his face and she said, don't you care. She got so bent out of shape. She was experiencing so much conflict within and so much conflict without that, that she even went into war with Jesus. Don't you care what's happening to me? Don't you care what Mary's doing to me? Don't you care? You could solve this problem. Don't you care? And I have to be honest with you, I, I often get to a place like this with God. Don't you know what I'm doing for you? Don't you know how hard I'm trying? Don't you know this? Don't you see what's going on? You can part the Red Sea, but you can't fix my little problem. Can I ask you, can, can you relate at all to this? This is what Martha was going through. She was a real human being. And then I love Jesus in this, in this story. Jesus is, ah, oh, it's profound. He, he, he responds this way. Martha, Martha. I love that. Because he didn't call her by her first and middle name, if you know what I mean. Now, they didn't have middle names back then, but you understand the cultural reference here. I mean, we all know when someone calls us by our first and middle name, they're ticked. My mom, man, and she was ticked all the time. I mean, I was her son, you know, I mean, really. And it was always Bradley Dean. And I mean, Dean lasted for like 20 minutes. I mean, it was like, boy, you knew she was just angry. But he didn't respond that way. He, he, he said her first name twice. And by the way, my mom, who loved me profoundly with all of the junk that I caused her, you know, there were times when she said my first name twice. Bradley, Bradley. It usually had a tone of disappointment in it. You know what I'm saying? Bradley, Bradley, you know. But that's compassionate, loving. And that's what Jesus did. He loved her. She got in his face, and she accused him of not caring. And he loved her. Here's what I, I just need you to see. No matter what our view of him, no matter what our feelings towards him, he loves us and he cares. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I'm often beating myself up because I'm Martha, 
And Jesus isn't beating me up. He's just saying, Brad, Brad, he's loving me. He's loving you. And then he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. You're, you're carrying the weight of the world, and you weren't made to carry it. I was made to carry it. And you need to look to me. You need to remember that. You're, you're caught up in, in all the problems of the world when you have me right here, and, and I'm big enough to hold them all, but you won't let me. You're trying to do my job for me, and you're upset about many things. You shouldn't be. And then he says, there's only one thing that's needed. Mary's chosen it. Mary isn't being weighed down by the burdens of life because she's looking to me to carry the load. She's chosen the better thing. Now, there are a lot of people who misunderstand this. In fact, there are a lot of people who get a little mad at Jesus about this passage because they're going, oh, yeah, sure. Beat up the one person who's carrying the load and doing all the work and honor the person who's sitting around on their lazy behind doing nothing. But that's not what this passage is about. Nowhere in this passage does it say Mary didn't do anything. Mary was handling a responsibility. Mary lived in this home. Mary was a part of the preparation. Mary the, but she didn't miss the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the King of kings, once he was there, that was a little bit more important than the dust ball in the corner of the house. I mean, the preparations were about before he came. Now he's here, and she wasn't going to be lost in that, but Martha couldn't do it. She was so distracted by all the stuff that had to be done that she lost focus on who was in her house. Think about what this story could have been. Think about what Jesus said, what Jesus was teaching. But you know, the only storyline we have is that she threw a temper tantrum because she was too busy and no one was helping her while Jesus was in the house. You're upset by all these things, but only one thing is needed, me. So here's the big question. Is Jesus saying that we don't have to work? I mean, just sit around at Jesus' feet. That's all you have to do. Don't, no, he's not saying that at all. We need to understand that work is an essential part of life. In fact, let me just share this truth. We were created to work. What, what many people don't understand is that work is not a result of sin and the fall away from God. Work was a part of paradise, the original creation of God. God created us to work, and work was a part of what made paradise paradise. Work only became a curse when our relationship with God was broken, when we had to do it on our own without him, without his guidance and strength and wisdom and help and encouragement. Let, let me just show you this so that you can know work's not at issue in this passage. Both worked. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, this is the paradise. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, paradise, to work it and to take care of it. It was paradise with work. But then they fell away from God. They became disconnected from God. And look at Genesis 3.17. To Adam, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, through work that's painful, you will eat of it all the days of your life. There's only one difference in that passage between work being a part of paradise and work being an unbelievable curse. And the only difference is disconnection from God. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Martha. Martha, you don't get it. You're being distracted by the very job you love doing. You're being distracted by the very people you love and the choices they make. And it's because you've lost focus. You've been distracted. You've disconnected yourself from me. And so here's the truth that I want us to see this weekend. 
work, our lives, our choices, the fulfillment of our responsibilities, the things we have to do, even relationally, work needs to flow out of worship. Work needs to flow out of worship. Now, don't think of worship as singing. It's true that worship can be expressed in singing, but worship is not singing. You know what worship is? Seeking God first and putting God first. Like Adam and Eve in paradise when God was first and they were there. But what happened is then they stopped seeking God first and putting him first and they started seeking their own pleasure and their own wants and they disconnected from God and then work became a curse. Our work, our living needs to flow out of worship, out of a life properly focused on God, on his will and his pleasure. Jesus says this straight out. Look at Matthew 6, just two verses, 25 and 33. He says, I tell you, would you stop worrying about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He's really speaking the language of the story of Martha here. He's, he's saying, would you stop worrying about all these preparations as if those are the most essential things in life? Life's more than that. Mary's figured this out. And then he says in verse 33, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's not that work's unnecessary. It's not that these things are unnecessary. It's that they need to flow out of your relationship with me, not handled apart from your relationship with me. And so here's what I learned from Martha. Everything we do, she was doing good things. She was hosting Jesus, hosting people. She was doing everything we do that's disconnected from God becomes destructive. Everything we do, disconnected from God, becomes destructive. Even when we're doing what we love the most, like she was. Even when we do it with the people we love the most, like she was. Even when we're doing good and generous stuff. Even when we're serving Jesus. What was she doing? Serving. She was serving Jesus. And yet, nuclear explosions were going off in her and outside of her, not the peace of God. Why? Because she was doing it disconnected from God. And I have to tell you, I relate so much to Martha. Distracted, disillusioned, upset, wrestling with inner turmoil and self-pity, everything out of whack in my life. Even though I have the greatest relationships in the world, God's given me profoundly wonderful relationships. And yet I can still become filled with conflict and turmoil. I believe that I get to do, I have the privilege of doing what I was created for. This, this job of mine is like the greatest privilege in life. I can't believe I get to do this. But you know, it's very often this job that I love so much that I get to do that just fills me with conflict. I'm gifted for it. I'm called to it. But often I get up and I do the job disconnected from him like Martha was not focused on him like Martha was doing and I get to the same place she was my focus gets knocked out of alignment and I get really messed up can I just ask you to be honest for a moment isn't the same true of you at times as well sure we all relate to Martha so here's my discovery and this really helps me so much the road to our greatest highs, our greatest moments, and our greatest successes in life, and the road to our greatest lows and the greatest moments of failure in our life can be the very same road. I can be in the relationships I'm in, 
doing the job I'm doing and be filled with joy and peace and wonder or I can be in the relationships I'm in and doing the job I'm doing and I can be filled with misery and antagonism and disillusionment and self-pity. Same road. And it all boils down to my view. Am I disconnected to God or connected? And am I looking to him or not? Well, because it's so important that we do the one thing that Mary did, that, we, that all of our life flows out of worship instead of doing all of that and just tacking on worship. I've come up with some principles that I believe we can learn from Martha but can help us immensely in life that I've heard throughout the years and haven't practiced very well throughout the years, but I want to share with you, okay? These things can help us because it's so easy for us to become like Martha and mess up our relationships in our lives. If we practice some of these principles, I think it'll help us. So here's the first one. We, we need to figure out what fills us up in life and we need to figure out what empties us out in life. I mean, we just have to figure this out. And all of us are different. We have unique personalities, unique experiences, unique likes and dislikes. And so in life, it's going to be different things, generally. I mean, the things that fill me up are going to be different than the things that fill you up recreationally and relationally. I mean, things that I love doing, they just fill me up. They're going to be different than yours, but we both have them. And then there are going to be things that drain me. They might be different than the things that drain you, but they drain me. And I have to know what fills me up and what drains me because here's the tendency to do a bunch of things that drain me and not do those things that fill me back up so I'm running on empty. And that's exactly what's going on with Martha here. This woman is running on empty and she has nothing left to give and so she gets distracted by that and what happens? She goes off on everyone else and that's exactly what happens to us when we're on empty. And you know what our tendency is? Our tendency is the busier, busier we are, the less we do the things that fill us up. We see those as time wasters. And so we set aside the very things we need the most to fill us up so that we can do more of the things that drain us. And what's it doing? It's sucking us so dry we can't help but be like Martha, even when Jesus is in the room. Even when we're doing what we want to do, what we've chosen to do with the people we want to do it with. And explains so much to me. I'm often running on empty. And so what I have to do is I have to make choices in life to, to do the things that fill me up so that I can continue doing the things that drain me. And you need to do the same thing. And I mean, this is recreationally, even. But know this. There's one common denominator we have. In the end, with all the things we have to do physically to fill us up because we're being drained out, in the end, there's only one thing that will fill us up in a way that truly satisfies. And that's the one thing Mary chose, sitting at Jesus' feet. If we really get to experience Jesus for a moment, he'll fill us up in a way that nothing else can. But you know what I forsake? When I'm really, really busy, I spend less time sitting at Jesus' feet so I can spend more time working. And what happens is I get empty and my work becomes destructive. Do you do that? Sure, we all do. We need to sit at his feet. If we're going to avoid being like Martha and instead experience life as it was meant to be experienced, then, then we need to get the right perspective on balance. 
Because very often we're living out of balance. And this requires the one thing. We have to sit at Jesus' feet if, if we're going to understand balance because we need his wisdom and we need his direction in our lives. The, the lesson is this. To keep our balance requires focusing on Jesus. Because you're not going to keep balance by focusing on your responsibilities. I have found this. My responsibilities never end. They just keep adding up and getting more and more and more. Does that happen to you? The, the more successful you are, the more responsibilities you have. There's no balance in that. And then you add to it your relationally. The more relationally you're invested and the more relationships you have, the bigger life becomes. And there's no balance in that. You don't have enough to give. And so then you start getting distracted. Oh, I have to go do that and I have to do this. And they're pulling at you and it's pulling at you. And you're being torn apart and there's only one thing, one thing that can keep you in balance and that's focusing on him. I, I equate it to the to the walking of the tightrope, you know. Have you ever seen these tightrope walkers? You know, they can't look around like, ooh, look at those buildings, that's really cool. <laughs> that doesn't work. Can't be looking around at others, they can't be looking at the wire, you look at the wire, you get out of balance. You know, the only thing you can do is you can look where you're going, right out ahead of you. There's only one way that we can stay balanced in life, which is so out of balance, and that's by keeping our focus on Jesus. Mary remembered it, Martha forgot. Martha was looking at everybody else and what they were doing and not doing. I do this a lot because you know I'm so invested. It's like, I look around and go, why aren't other people doing this? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that's where we need to keep our focus. Can I ask you, have you been experiencing any conflict within and without in your life recently? Could it be that like Martha, you haven't been looking to Jesus, you've been looking at everything else in life? If, if we're going to keep from going off the rail like Martha did, then, then we need to rest. We need to rest. And this is so simple. I, I know, look at Telling people they need to rest is not like the deepest thing I'll ever say. But it might be one of the most important. And I, I'm talking to myself because I... I'm not, I don't like sleep. I, I hate sleep. Now, some of you love sleep, and I don't get it. What a waste of time. You think about this. We're going to be dead and lying on our back for a long time. Why in the heck would you want to practice so much while you're still breathing? I just don't understand it. That's kind of my view, but it's, it's messed up a little bit because without rest, we can't live. Here, here's the truth. The way we live and the way we work and the way we love needs to flow from rest rather than sacrificing rest so we can live more, work more, and love more. Can't do it. We need rest. In fact, what a lot of people don't understand, all you have to do is read the Bible. Go to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We have the whole creation of the world. God tells us how he created the world and how he created it to work. And you know what he says? Look at Genesis 1.5. It's right at the beginning. You maybe never saw this. Genesis 1.5, first day of creation. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. What? No, there's morning... And then there's evening in the first day. No. Every day. Evening. What happens in the evening? Rest. And morning. What happens in the morning? Life. Work. 
love. And that was the first day. And then evening and morning, second day. Evening and morning, third day. Life and love and work flows out of rest when it's done right. And then what happened on the seventh day? Amazing. Rest. It's called the Sabbath. And you know when the Sabbath starts? In the evening. Friday evening through Saturday, evening to morning, and then you've got the rest of day. And then you're prepared for the next week. Rest flows life, love, and work. Rest flows life. You know why we're not living very well, we're not working very well, and we're not loving very well? Because we're exhausted. Rest flows out of. Martha messed up here because she was worn out. She was tired, not because she was a bad person. And here's the lesson I have to learn. We don't fail because we're bad or insincere. We fail because we're frail, and we forget it. We think we can conquer the world. We think we can do anything. We think we can keep going. We think we don't have limitations. We think we can control, and then we find out we can't. We break down like Martha did. We need to rest. Rest keeps us from losing ourselves. Martha lost herself in this story. Rest keeps us from losing our souls. Rest keeps us from, from doing things in our busyness that will ultimately destroy us. And this is why Mary chose the better thing. It wasn't that she didn't work. It's that she knew she needed Jesus for her work to matter. And what you don't know, maybe, is that, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, you know, the Sabbath ultimately was a picture of what Jesus would bring when he came. Hebrews chapter 4, 9, look at this. It's an amazing passage. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And it's no longer a day. It's now a person. Jesus is our Sabbath rest is what this passage is saying. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And you know what Jesus is saying? Mary's chosen the right thing because in this moment with me, she gets rest through which life and work and love can flow. But Martha, you're not finding your rest in me, and so you're not finding rest at all. We need to rest. Some of us are at war simply because we're just too tired to experience peace. I find if I'm going to avoid becoming Martha, if I'm going to experience the peace that I so long for in life, then I have to find a lightning rod. Now, I know that sounds weird, and I didn't make this phrase up, but... But it's really important and impacting when you understand. I have to find a lightning rod. We, here in the Midwest, we know what a lightning rod is, right? It's that metal thing that attaches to houses and buildings. And, and then it's grounded to something so that when lightning, with all of its energy and all of its destructive power, hits it, it doesn't destroy the building or the home. It just goes right down into the ground and it's dispersed and everybody's okay. If we're going to experience life the right way, we need to have a lightning rod. You know what Mary's problem was in this story? She had a lightning strike moment in her life, and she didn't have a lightning rod. And so she just let that lightning flow through her fingernails into everyone's skulls. <laughs> Destroyed everyone around her. And I'm going to tell you, this is really, really important. In life and relationships, we're going to experience lightning strike moments. And sometimes we're tired, all these things are going on, but these are moments that energize our intensity. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know if I come off intense or not on the platform, but I am just an extremely intense human being. I can, when my intensity goes out of control, I can suck every ounce of oxygen out of a room. 
It's like, you know, I, it's like, it's just not healthy. And, and when a strike, a lightning strike moment happens to me, it, it can, can cause me to just become overly intense. We have lightning strike moments that fuel negative and destructive outbursts that motivate us to react in ways that ultimately we'll regret because we react in a way that wipes everything out before we even think. Have you ever been there when you've experienced one of those moments and you just fry everybody because you just got fried? That's what happened with Martha here. You know what the lesson is? If we don't have someone in our lives serving as a lightning rod to help ground us in those highly intense moments, those moments will fry us like it fried Martha and then we'll fry everyone in our presence like she did. And so we need these people who can be our lightning rods. We need to make sure they're grounded in God, that, that they, they, they won't be affected by what we're doing. And so I have to have a couple of friends in my life, a couple of people in my life, and this is why community is so important. This is why small groups are so important. This is why having spiritual relationships are so important. I need a couple of people in my life who, who know me really well and know my heart and know my attitudes and, and know my intentions and whom I know really well and trust them. And they can experience the lightning of my intensity in moments and they can ground it without being destroyed by it. And these are people that I can go to. There's just a couple of them, but they're people I can go to. And I mean, when, when someone's fried me, when someone's hurt me, when something's going on that really upsets me and angry, when I get to a Martha moment, I can go to them before I destroy everything in my wake and, and I can... I can tell them how I'm feeling without cleaning up the language. You know, I mean, without lightning rod people, can you imagine what my language would be like on this platform? Some of you are saying it's already over the top. You should see what it is when it's really over the top. It's like, but it's, and, and I'm not a foul mouth person, but you know, sometimes there are particular words that are necessary to express how you're really feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? You just can't share those with everybody. So there are a couple of people in my life, they know my heart, they know my sincerity, they know who I am, and I can go in and I go, you know, question mark, exclamation point, asterisk, question mark, dollar sign, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, this person, exclamation mark. I'm going to kill them. And they're able to go, no, you're not. You know, and they're not affected by it. They're lightning rods. They're grounded. Boom, they take it right down there. And then they're able to tell me good things. Maybe you shouldn't kill them. And maybe you shouldn't say those words again for a month or two. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I'm, I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? People you can go to. If Martha had someone she could have gone to that she could have just blah with, she wouldn't have fried everybody in her presence. And the same is true with us. Do you have a lightning rod person? And, and can I just say... It shouldn't be your spouse. It shouldn't be. Now, by the way, I mean, we should communicate with our spouse. We should share with our spouse. But let me just tell you something. Your spouse cares too much about you, too much about what's going on, and too affected by your moods and attitude to be able to take the full hit of a lightning strike in your life and not be affected by it. And very often, because they're protective and our greatest defenses, you know what they want to do? They want to go kill blankety-blank, blankety-blank, too. The only problem is they don't have the relationship you have with blankety-blankety-blankety-blank. And so you're going to go fix it and repair all the stuff and they're going to carry and harbor all this junk and all that different stuff. And so they should not be the lightning rod. 
But then what we can do is we can share with them the story and what's going on in our life from the resolution side, not from the conflict side, from the peace side, not from the war side. So we need lightning rods. Do you have one? And finally, I'm going to tell you, uh, oh, and one last thing before I go on. We do need people who are lightning rods in our life, but what we need to know is Jesus is the ultimate lightning rod. And we need to turn to him immediately. If you read the Psalms, people went to him with some really rough language. People, I mean, if you read the Psalms, it's like, I, God, I want you to kill this person. I want you to take this person out, lop this person's head off. It's crazy what they're saying. But see, God's the true lightning rod, and you can take how you really feel to him, and then he can change you. Because in those Psalms, ultimately, they come around to saying, but I'll praise you, and I love you, and I'm going to live for you. Mary chose the one thing, the one thing that's really necessary because when you go to Jesus, he takes all the junk that's going on in you and he can make it good. The truth I found is that when I go to Jesus, he can actually rewire me and heal all the fried circuits and, and make me okay again even after the hard lightning strike that I take. If we're going to avoid being Martha, then we need to prioritize our time with God. We need to prioritize our time with God. She didn't. She was, Jesus was in her presence. Can you imagine Jesus showing, <laughs> Jesus showing up in your house and you're, you're doing the junk she was doing? Can you imagine? She didn't prioritize her time with God. She was too busy for God to spend time with God. And man, do I understand that. Psalm 63.1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Another translation says earnestly. I mean, it's my first priority. I'm going to, I'm going to get to you because my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Here's the lesson. If we don't spend time with God, if we don't open ourselves up to experiencing the brush of God in our lives, we'll never find the peace we're really looking for, the peace we're created for. Mary chose the better thing. Think of the difference between Martha and Mary in this moment. Martha was being broken down from carrying the weight of the world. Mary was experiencing the peace and joy of God in her life. And the difference was found in worship. Mary was spending time with Jesus. Martha wasn't. Now, now it's important to realize that it's not enough. Please hear this. It's not enough to do time for God. I believe many of us do time for God. We do Bible time for God. We do service time for God. We do church time for God. For goodness sake, even on spring forward day when it's pouring outside, we're going to go do time for God at church. And we're going to look around and say, there are other people who aren't doing time for God. Those lousy, good for nothing, exclamation mark, question mark, asterisk people. And we're jealous of them and we're all upset. And we're doing our time for God, but let me just tell you, there's a big difference between doing time for God and spending time with God. There's a big difference between just hearing what he says and telling him what you think and actually spending time with him, listening to him and applying what he says and living it. That's where transformation happens. Do you realize both Mary and Martha were in Jesus' presence in this story? Both Mary and Martha were hearing Jesus' teaching in this story? And yet Martha went nuclear. Why? Well, because it's all about the proximity of our heart. Mary's heart was open to Jesus. Martha's heart was closed to Jesus. 
She was too busy working for God to spend time with God. She was too invested in the preparation to experience his presence. And I'm telling you, many Christians are like this. We're doing everything for God but spending time with him. And we get, like Martha, bent out of shape. I know I get there. Martha got distracted. She started focusing on all these wrong things and it shows that her heart was far from him. Can I ask you a question? This is really important. Where's your heart these days? Is it like Mary, close to him? Or like Martha, pretty far away? Focused on him or distracted? Jesus actually warned us about this danger. Look at Revelation 2.4. He's talking to one of the great churches of history, the church at Ephesus. And yet, look what he says. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You're doing all kinds of stuff for me, but you're not loving me. And isn't that where Martha was? And this helps me so much because I do a lot of stuff for God. But very often, I'm not loving him. And remember, anything we do disconnected from God becomes destructive. Even serving him, even giving to him, even singing for him, and even working for him. We need to have our heart close. But here's the good news. No matter how committed we are, how sincere, how good, gracious, or generous we are, we learn from Martha that this is a danger for us, but it doesn't have to destroy us because Jesus didn't come and judge her and say, you've blown it, that's it, I'm choosing Mary, forget you, Martha. He didn't do that. He said, Martha, Martha, you know what happens in this text? He teaches us that even when we're making all the wrong choices, we can still choose to make the right choice and he'll renew us. He says, Martha, you're blowing it right now. Look at what you did. I mean, you've, you, just, you, you just poisoned everybody here, but, but if you choose what Mary chose, then I can renew you and refresh you. And I believe I'm talking to a bunch of people who've been fried because life fries us. Life's tough. Life's hard. But listen to what Jesus says to all of us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Oh my gosh, rest. What does life flow out of? Rest. What does love flow out of? Rest. What does healthy work flow out of? Rest. And where do we go for rest? Oh yeah, Mary chose the better thing. Mary chose the better thing, the one thing we need, the one thing you need. I'm begging you, turn your focus back to Jesus, come to him, let him give you rest, because in that, you will stop being at war with yourself and with others and with him, and you will find what you're longing for so desperately, peace, like Mary did. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer before I move to the final thought? As we pray, if you're a believer already, you're a follower of Jesus like Martha was, maybe good, generous, wonderful human being, is it possible that you're still filled with conflict and you're at war like she was? If so, come to Jesus with your burdens and your weariness and let him give you rest. Put it back on him. Choose the one thing. Could it be that you're here, maybe here in Plymouth, maybe at one of our regional campuses, maybe you're there at Northridge Brighton or Northridge Grosseal or even Northridge Saline, or maybe you're watching online 
And you're just, oh, you're at war. You're at conflict. You're not experiencing peace. This could be your moment to let Jesus in. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me if you want to open your life to him. Just take my words in this prayer, but make them the expression of your heart. Just say, Jesus, I am burdened and I am weary. I know conflict, not peace. And I know it's because I'm disconnected from you. I've sinned against you. But you died on that cross to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me. You rose again to give me new life. I'm asking you to give me new life. In Jesus' name I come. Amen. If you just prayed with me, I just, I just want to encourage you, please let us know. I mean, we have a letter about next steps that you can take and uh, in your relationship with God, and we want to get the letter to you. Can't unless we know you prayed with me. And so before I give you this last thought, I just encourage you, uh, those of you at Northridge Brighton, Northridge Groceal, Northridge Celine, those of you here at Northridge Plymouth, just take this thing out. Would you fill it out? Check that thing at the bottom that says you prayed with me to receive Jesus. And then there are boxes at every exit at all of our campuses. Throw it in there. We'll do the rest. We'll send you that information. And also, I just really want to encourage you. We have a prayer team that meets down front after every service. And if you're wrestling with stuff, you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone, would you come at the end of the service? No one's going to be watching you. It's not going to be in front of everybody. But just come. They'd love to spend some time with you. But here's the deal. He made it possible for us to sit at his feet. He made it possible for us to experience life and peace and love and joy. And it's always available. The question is, are we looking to him or not? Is he our focus or not? Let's make him our focus. It'll change everything. Make sense? Awesome. Now, just before uh, the mad rush out of here and the mad rush out of all of our campuses, I, I, I want to point out that we put in your program this week uh, Easter at Northridge invitation cards. And they're... They're specific to each of our campuses. For those of you at Plymouth, it's Easter at Northridge, and it's uh, Plymouth. It talks about the 10 services here at Plymouth. For those of you at our regional campuses, yours are specific to your campus and your region, and it has the services that we're offering there at uh, each of your campuses. And so these, it's our, it's our campaign this Easter. Easter at Northridge, Google it. Everything, do you ever watch a movie and you go, who is that actor? And you Google it? Or you're talking about something at, at a restaurant, and you go, oh, we can Google it. Well. Instead of telling them all the information about the church, we just thought we'd say Easter at Northridge, Google it. When you do, you see Easter at Northridge. And by the way, I'd love it if all of you like, took out your phones and, and you Google Easter at Northridge. You know what will happen. Uh, the analytics will go up and we'll be even higher trending and all that stuff. That's a lot of cool things. So let's trend for Jesus' sake, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, what, what we've done is we put billboards up all around our communities. All of our campuses have billboards around them and it says Easter at Northridge Google it how many of you have seen one of our billboards have you seen those okay cool we're gonna send tens of thousands of mailers into homes that say Easter at Northridge Google it but here's what I want you to know the billboards won't get people here for Easter and and the mailers won't get people here for Easter it creates an environment where your invitation has greater weight. They go, oh, I've heard about Northridge. Didn't I see a billboard? Oh, I've heard about it. Oh, I've seen that. And it gives your invitation more power. And I really want to encourage you. I don't think you're going to, when you experience Easter, I don't think you're going to be excited that an empty seat heard the story of Jesus at Easter. But I think you'll be excited when a friend, a family member, or a neighbor hears the story of Jesus at Easter. 
So let's fill up every single seat for all of our services, 17 in total, 10 here at Plymouth, 7 in our campuses. Let's fill it up with people so that they can experience what Jesus came to give them, new life, new love, and new hope. Will you join me in that? Let's make Easter great. Two weeks from this weekend. Thanks, everybody. See ya.